When you initially watched that first episode, how did you feel? My vagina is fully not blurred out. And I have a suspicion that that was kind of like a revenge thing. I was totally fell for like his like charming exterior and all his friends all around who think he's the greatest thing ever. And they do think he's the greatest thing ever because that's the only side of him they see. It was this weird feeling of always feeling like you were going to have the rug pulled out from under you. There was a lot of like compulsive behavior. Like how many girls can I get to come home from the club with me? How young can I go without going under 18? Did you ever see anything like really f***ed up going on though where you like felt like you needed to step in and stop it or say something? I really didn't know what I was getting into. Let's get into it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome back to Let's Get Into a Podcast hosted by me, Sloan. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Holly Madison. You may recognize Holly from the hit reality television show, The Girls Next Door. She's also appeared on Dancing with the Stars, Holly's World, Secrets of Playboy. On top of that, she's also an author of two books, Down the Rabbit Hole and The Vegas Diaries. How are you, Holly? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. You've done so much in your career. As I was going through, I was just shocked at how many different projects you've been a part of. Like looking in hindsight, is it wild to see everything you've accomplished? Kind of. It took a lot of twists and turns. It always, it didn't always go like the places I intended it to go. A lot of it were things that I followed from a more organic place happened to work out rather than things I was trying to like plan for myself. So it's kind of been a crazy ride, but it's been good. I feel like writing books, like I can't even imagine writing a book. I can barely sit down and read like an article. <laughs> so um your last book, uh The Vegas Diaries, um that came out whenever you were working on the show and living in Vegas and the burlesque and everything, correct? Yeah, that was about my time moving to Vegas right after I left the mansion and kind of how I found myself after those years and what I learned by dating and just being on my own finally. Do you feel like writing those books is kind of like a healing process, like getting it all out and then putting it out to the world? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. It definitely helped me process it and helped me feel like other people could understand me a little bit more. Yeah. So you are originally born in Oregon, but then you moved on to Alaska, which I think is fascinating because I've only met like a handful of people who have been to Alaska or have lived in Alaska. I know you were there when you were young, but do you remember living there? I do. I was there from ages three to age 10. So it was a huge part of growing up. It definitely like shaped who I am. It was, we lived in a really rural town called Craig. And before we lived in Craig, we lived just basically kind of off the grid on Prince of Wales Island. So it was really great just growing up in nature and kind of having that different perspective. I didn't like it when we moved down to Oregon. I felt like that was like too much and too overwhelming. And, you know, it was a lot. Really? So. Why did you guys end up in Alaska? My dad was in the timber industry and he managed a port. So that's just where he went. And then my parents were both from Oregon. So they wanted to get back to Oregon before my sister and I went into middle school because they thought that was more like the normal life. Mm -hmm. I didn't really love it, but (laughs) but that was just me. And which part? I haven't been to Oregon before, but it's just like, I mean, Alaska sounds very slow. So then Oregon's like a little bit more busy, but you didn't really enjoy that fast pace. 
Yeah, to me, it was just like really overwhelming. It was a lot. One thing I love about Alaska is it's a very individualistic place. It's a very non-judgmental place. People are kind of like allowed to be who they are. And then moving down to a bigger town, I just felt like there was conformity all around me. And I didn't really know how to react to that. So it wasn't my favorite. I mean, Oregon's a great place, but I think I just had like a lot of culture shock coming down from Alaska. Yeah. And especially those years, like three to 10 is kind of when you start to like figure out your identity. So I feel like Mm -hmm. those are really crucial points. And then to leave that environment, which seems to be super peaceful, was probably a lot. So you ended up moving to LA, which if, you know, if you think Oregon's crazy, then LA is like next level. Why did you decide to go to college here? Well, my family and I started vacationing in California pretty regularly after we moved to Oregon. And I just saw it as a place of a lot of opportunity and it felt like happy people and you could kind of be who you wanted to be more so than in like a small town. So I just always dreamed of moving to California and trying to like make it in the entertainment industry and, you know, being in sunshine all the time. I just thought that seemed like such a dream. And For me, you know, I didn't have any like money or connections or anything. So my way of getting down here was to like get really good grades and like get into a good college. Mm -hmm. So when you like back then when you were younger and you wanted to have like a famous lifestyle, like what did you have like a certain did you want to model or like acting or what was your initial dream? I either wanted to get into acting or be like a TV host. Mm. Like host a show. Yeah, I could totally see you hosting a show. I'm sure you have hosted in some capacity, right? I host true crime now. So that's totally different genre than I ever saw myself getting into. But I always loved, you know, mysteries and Mm -hmm. darker things when I was young, too. So I should have put two and two together, but I never really did. I never really visualized that for myself, but I got you. There's so much crime to talk about, too. It's like you'll you'll always have content to cover, unfortunately. Yeah. So to afford tuition, I read that you like worked at Hooters and you modeled for Hawaiian Tropic. Um, what was it like? I mean, being in college and working at Hooters and I'm sure you were like beautiful. So you were probably thriving out here. Thanks. I, I, I feel like I was kind of awkward, but one thing I loved about Hooters was it was a place where they kind of gave you this persona. Like you were supposed to be like, they called it like the cheerleader surfer girl next door and they would give you things to, do like if you had a slow section like you're supposed to go do card tricks or go like hula hoop next to the table and they would give you really specific ways to interact with people like if a family comes in you always talk to like the wife or the partner first and the kids and don't just cater to the men because that's kind of what everybody expects and for me being like an undiagnosed autistic person who always had a lot of trouble connecting with people I kind of felt like Hooters was an environment where I could finally feel like I was succeeding at something socially and like succeeding interacting with people because basically you had a script of things you could say and couldn't say and you know there was never very much of a long period of time you would be left at one table you kind of had to like bop around and like interact with everybody so I felt like that was great for me in like kind of a weird backward way it was like really good for you know my self-esteem and like learning to interact with people socially and some people they like to talk shit about hooters like in your like experience so you didn't have like a shitty experience you didn't feel like I guess um degraded or anything like that no, I mean, I remember feeling like the outfit felt so skimpy. It was just yeah. like such a thin material. Like I felt like it was more, you know, naked than anything I'd ever wore before. But also like the late 90s, early 2000s was kind of a different time too. So, but I didn't feel like degraded or anything like that. I felt like everybody working there had a sense of humor. And I mean, it's interesting looking back because there were very like defined gender roles. Like obviously all the servers were women. Most of the managers were men. Um, there were a few female managers. So that's always interesting to look at. But I felt like for me, it was a good environment. I don't know if it would be for everybody, but for me, it was really a positive place. And where um, was that Hooters located? Here in L.A.? Yeah, it was in Santa Monica. It's not there anymore, but it used to be, like, um, on 3rd Street by the Promenade on Broadway. Oh, cute. Street, yeah. Is that where you were, um, like, living when you were first coming out here? 
Well, I went to Loyola Marymount, and as a transfer student, they gave us housing in a hotel. It used to be called the Furama Hotel. I don't. It's called something else now. I don't know what it was. I lived there, and then um, I got an apartment with two other servers from Hooters, and we actually lived in Burbank, which is like far from Santa Monica, so we had quite the drive, but it was really like affordable. So that's what we did. Oh, that's fun. So when you were working at Hooters, now is that how you initially got connected to Playboy? No, it was actually through Hawaiian Tropic. I took a gig with Hawaiian Tropic. They would hire women to kind of like just wear their t-shirts and show up to events and things like that. So it was like super easy job and like the other women were really nice. But they also required that you do the bikini contest too. So I went to one and Hef's doctor had gone to that bikini contest and he told the organizer that he wanted to invite all the women in the contest to the next Playboy Mansion party. So that was really exciting for me because back then those were the really cool parties to go to. And some of the women from Hooters were going, but only like one or two. It was like only like the really cool girls got invited. So that was exciting. And my roommate ended up being one of the people invited too. So we got to go together. So those parties used to be like a big thing where people in like Hollywood were talking about it. And like, you know, every girl wanted to pretty much go and it was like the the hot Mm -hmm. shit going on. Yeah, it was. It's it's hard to convey today because it sounds kind of cheesy, but it really was the most exciting party to go to. And especially if you were like a new girl in town, you really wanted to go because you thought it was a place where you could like meet celebrities and see cool things and like possibly get discovered. So it was super exciting. But this was like back in the day before everybody had cell phones and cameras and people weren't allowed to bring cameras inside. So it was really, really private. So celebrities felt comfortable going and partying and they didn't feel like they were going to get outed by anybody. Do you kind of like miss that time? Like where the parties would like, you know, I mean, obviously I don't think you're in like all these parties nowadays, but like, do you kind of, um, do you think it was like a special moment in time where we didn't have social media or those like cell phones and really anyone can get away with whatever they wanted? I mean, it's a real give and take because you think about it definitely made the parties more special and there was more of a glamour to it. And that's definitely something you can't recapture today because now everybody has a phone and everybody's going to, expose everybody on social media. But the downside of those days was not everybody had a voice. So a lot of crazy messed up shit could go on and, you know, people wouldn't be believed or people wouldn't have receipts like they do today. So it's definitely a give and take. But if you're looking for, like, if you have this fantasy of going to like a really exclusive Hollywood party back then would have been the time to do it because now it's just nothing's private anymore. Yeah, exactly. And when you went to um the mansion for the first time, did you have to like sign an NDA or anything? No, there was nothing like that. Yeah. So then what was that first experience like going to the party with the Hooters girls? Um, Did you interact with Hef that first moment? I did go up and introduce myself and say, thanks for inviting me. But it was just like a very quick interaction. It wasn't really anything. I just was wandering around with uh, my roommate and we had met up with another girl who used to work at Hooters as well, who'd been to the parties before. So she kind of like gave us a tour of the whole place and showed us around and took us to the zoo. And we just thought it was really cool. And we saw like some, you know, people from TV and some playmates that we recognized. So I was just kind of like starstruck by it all and just by the whole party. And I didn't even stay very late. I just, I mean, that's kind of me anyway. I'm kind of a homebody, but we just stayed for a couple hours and we're just kind of completely in awe and then went home and had something to talk about for the next month. <laughs> yeah. So you were, um, we'll get into your time at the mansion, but, um, just like a quick reference, like at these parties or when you were living there, like, were there any like big celebrities you remember seeing that you were just shocked to be in the same room as them? Yeah. I mean, you would see people like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire and people like that. But even like lesser known celebrities, like I grew up watching 90210. So I saw the actor who played Nat at the Peach Pit. And I'm talking about the original 90210, not even like the most recent one. So I just thought that was so cool to see him there. It's just, it's crazy, you know, moving to LA before you've ever seen a celebrity. It's just so exciting to see anybody you recognize from TV. Yeah. And do you um recall, I guess, like anyone who you had met and they were super great and nice or anyone who was kind of a dick when you met them and changed your perspective of them? 
Um, I remember I was working a golf event for Hooters and I wanted a picture with Clyde Drexler because he was like the star basketball player on the Portland Trailblazers when I was in high school. And I thought it would be so cool to show everybody from home. And he was like, not down to take a picture. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'll never understand that. Like moving here, it's interesting to see how like, I mean, now everyone's a creator or influencer. Everyone's <laughs> famous now in LA, but it's interesting to see how some people will like, because every time someone comes up to me, it's like, I can't imagine being nothing but like super nice and grateful so yeah like why not right it's like and you'll make these people's day so yeah angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well if you own a home you know how much work it can take whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality it can be hard just to know where to start but now all you need to do is angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. So before you went into um, the mansion and moved in, I read that you were financially like struggling. I guess mm-hmm. the Hooters and the modeling was in. I mean, it's expensive out here, so it's hard yeah. to survive. Yeah, I was trying to do too much all at once. I was trying to get good grades at school so I could keep my scholarship, mm-hmm. but also work hard so I could pay the rent and also pay for all my headshots and everything and go on auditions. And it was just like everything was crashing. So I was like, I couldn't pick a lane. And what were you studying in school? I was a double major. I was doing psychology and theater. Oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> did you, um, what did you want to do with psychology? I just thought it was interesting. I just... I, th- I thought, well, I thought I wanted to get into acting. I thought it would help me with that too, but mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting and probably just me biting off more than I can chew. Yeah. I actually, I studied psychology and even though I don't necessarily, I guess, use my degree now, I think that it's helped me a lot in um, like the creator space. Oh, I feel like that too. I feel like it's just everyday knowledge that's so helpful. It just comes in in places you never think it would. Especially like behavioral, because I feel like that can really explain like why people act a certain way. And it's like, I go back to that like class I took and I'm like, oh, like, you know, they had a terrible upbringing. So now they're a terrible person. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, how did the opportunity to move into the mansion present itself? 
Well, after I got invited to that first party, they take a Polaroid of you when you go and they grade it A, B, C, or D. Obviously, like A is the people they want to invite back to every party. B is like you get invited to the big parties. C is like if they're desperate. So I got invited back to some of the smaller parties. um, Do you know what your letter was? Were you an A? Yeah, it was an A. And I didn't realize that until I found it years later. And I would have never guessed that I was given an A just because like, even throughout the relationship, like Hef always made me feel like I was kind of ugly and like not that cute. So I would have guessed that I got a C and was like super lucky to get on the pool party list for some reason. But I was going through pictures like years after I'd moved in because we were looking for more people to invite to the pool parties just because Bridget and I thought it'd be fun to have more people up there. And I found my old picture and I got an A and I was shocked because it just surprised me because that wasn't really, I wasn't really treated that way, but Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it happens. So, um, and I guess it's like, I don't know, that's kind of like a degrading way. It's kind of like, it reminds me of like, I don't know, like farm animals or like grading them, like who's, you know, a grade. Um, so were you, when you, how did like the, or so actually I want to ask when you were invited to these parties with the, with the Polaroids, how would they actually invite you to the party? Yeah. Like, would they get your number like on the back of the Polaroid or? Yeah, well, when I was invited initially, it was through uh, the organizer of the Hawaiian Tropic event because Hef's doctor wanted everybody invited. So he had our numbers because we were working for him. So he we gave them our address and then we would get like an actual physical invitation. And okay. from, the, from there, they had our information to keep us on the party list. And then that was um, attached to our Polaroid that we were taken that we took before we entered the party for the first time. Interesting. So then how many times did you go back to the mansion until you really started to interact with Hugh Hefner? I would say I was going to pool parties for about a year and I would see him and interact with him a little bit. And I, from what I was seeing at the time, I really liked him. I really admired everything he'd accomplished. I thought he seemed really charming and I've been invited to go out with him and the group a couple times, but I hadn't taken him up on it. Until one day, you know, my roommate was moving back home. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should try living at the mansion because I'd gone up to the pool party and one of the bartenders was saying how one of Hef's girlfriends had just got kicked out. And I was like, well, there's a spot open. Maybe I should give this a try. And that wasn't anything that I would have ever been like bold enough to take him up on. Like, even though I love the Playboy brand and I liked Hef and I really wanted to be in the magazine, like I wouldn't have have the courage to like go out with them unless I was like desperate. So that was me. (laughs) And do you know why that one girlfriend got kicked out? I never really got the full story. I think she was like sneaking out and seeing another guy. Mm. Yeah. So it does seem like, so when you were moving into the mansion, like it, you know, was kind of a lifesaver because at that point you didn't really know where you're going to go. But um, were you fearful of like losing your independence? At first, no, because I thought it was going to be such a temporary thing. I thought I would be there for maybe like six months to a year, maybe like two years max, you know, if things really went on, just because that was kind of what I had seen, you know, being a guest at the parties for the past year, I'd seen Hef and his seven girlfriends, and you kind of see from a distance there was a revolving door, and people didn't really stay very long, so I didn't think I was going to be there very long. I didn't think if I had to follow a nine o'clock curfew for a year that that would really affect my life that much. I was more interested in, like, getting back on my feet and, like, taking advantage of good opportunities rather than, like, going out and partying. So it didn't bother me at first. It just kind of became a thing as, like, the relationship got more serious and I was never allowed to earn any trust or, you know. Yeah. And, same old rules. <laughs> yeah, he would control. So did it, it was kind of like a progression where he would, like, kind of control your finances, a strict schedule. Or when you moved in right away, were these rules just put in place and you were to follow them? Well, the rules were in place, but you weren't really told about them. Like, no other girl was going to take her time out to tell any of the new girls what was going on. Everybody just kind of wanted you to stumble around. You know, Hef didn't, like, give anybody the rules when you moved in. Like, I was aware there was a curfew because everybody would kind of talk about that. Like, I knew about that before I even went out with them. But, you know, even our weekly schedule, like, I had to ask the girl in the room next to me what that was and, like, try to pry the information out of her. So the rules are in place, but they were always kind of ambiguous and you weren't told about them right away. 
because, you know, it's in his interest to make the situation seem really appealing. So you don't really learn about the rules until you've already, like, you're already feeling invested for other reasons. So it's kind of this weird thing. I think when people picture my situation as being one of have girlfriends, they picture that scene in Fifty Shades of Grey where, like, Dakota Johnson is sat down at that conference table and she's given that big contract. Here's what you can send to. Here's what you don't. Nothing like that. Like, you're kind of, like, walking in blind a little bit. Like, I thought I had a good grasp on what it would be like just because I was a guest that was up there regularly, like, once or twice a week and kind of saw things from a distance, but I really didn't know what I was getting into. And now, would you say, like, when you kind of initially went in there, because I would say, it from my perspective, it seems like you and Bridget always had each other's back, but was yeah. the kind of culture with other women like very competitive or was it, like a, a sisterhood because i feel like if it was like a sisterhood then you would have come in someone would have like pulled you aside and given you like the rundown oh it was very competitive it was <laughs> it was very competitive i learned that pretty quickly and yeah bridget and i always had each other's backs and there were a few other women here and there that we got along with really well unfortunately they didn't really last long at the mansion because it's, it's hard like you have to like have a spine of steel to kind of like put up with all the other women and all the drama and everything that's going on. So unfortunately, like the nice people didn't really seem to last that long. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, it's, so it was probably pretty catty and I'm sure just like even Mm -hmm. living there, you would have like a sense of just anxiety all the time. Absolutely. It was this weird feeling of always feeling like you were going to have the rug pulled out from under you because, you know, I moved in there and I was like, this is my chance to get back on my feet. And I was really trying to do that, but also like keep up with Hef's really demanding schedule. And then I became the main girlfriend. So I'm kind of like under the microscope 24 seven, but also you feel like all the security you have in that situation could be ripped away from you at any minute, just because somebody down the hall, like makes up a lie about you. You know, there was always like, people getting kicked out and next one somebody goes home to like visit their parents. And next thing I know, like they were caught cheating and like all their boxes are outside their door and you just never really knew when it was going to hit. Yeah. That sounds like so toxic and stressful because really someone, if they are on like, you know, have good side and they just like want to, you know, spread a rumor, then the next minute that person could be kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. It was scary. (laughs) How about like, like when it came to like, I mean, you know, all the playmates and everyone's so beautiful. Was there like a weird like pressure on that too? Like as far as like eating or things like that, like, do you think maybe some of those girls had like almost dysmorphic eating because they're in this environment? It was a lot of pressure. Did you not really see that? A lot of people struggled. I know there were a lot of people dealing with eating disorders and some of that I've learned after the fact, like I was aware of a few people at the time, but you know, we've done interviews on the girls next level podcast with people who've talked about difficulties they've had that I wasn't even aware of at the time. You know, it was a very competitive environment back then being stick skinny was like the trend mm-hmm. and it was difficult. And it even got to a point where I would see half, you know, at the buffet table at the, on the weekends, like would go up to a playmate in front of everybody and be like, you know, you need to hit the gym. You're like starting to gain weight. And it's just like, Oh God. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like he almost like, cause I feel like in my mind, I can imagine him just almost treating you all like property. Like he'll just grab you when he wanted to, like, would he like, just like, you know, cop a feel if he wanted to or whatever he, you know, kind of objectifying you. Yeah. I definitely felt that in different ways for sure. So you ended up becoming the number one girlfriend. How long did it take for, like, once you moved into the mansion for you to find that role? I moved into the mansion in, like, late August of 2001, and it was before Christmas that the other girls started saying, oh, we think you're going to be his next main girlfriend. And I was so flattered at the time. Like, I'd never thought that I would be the main girlfriend just because the main girlfriend had always been the oldest. And at the time I moved in, I was the youngest, So I never thought it would be me, but I was very flattered. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't think it was something I could really turn down. And Hef and I had grown very close emotionally over those first few months there. And I was like the homebody of the group. I liked staying in and watching the old movies and like sitting downstairs with all his friends at buffets. I thought they were fun to talk to. So it was kind of a natural fit in a way, but also something I wasn't really ready for because it was a lot of responsibility and a lot of surveillance and mm-hmm. it, you know it wasn't really something i had gone into thinking it was going to be like this long-term commitment and despite all that pressure you did like develop like you said a bond with him mm-hmm. um 
obviously he was like an older man whenever you first met him. Yeah. Like, were you, did you feel physically attracted to him? Not really physically attracted to him, but I feel like I was a little more asexual back then anyway. I wasn't like super lusting after guys. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's almost one of the reasons that moving into the mansion was like, a tolerable idea to me where it might have been less so for other women who were really excited about like meeting guys their own age or like fucking other celebrities Mm -hmm. like that just wasn't really on my radar and I felt like he was somebody I really looked up to and admired at the time and I felt like we had over the first couple months like kind of grown this like emotional bond and I liked the pace of his lifestyle at that moment so there were things I was attracted to and I definitely thought he was charming and things like that but I don't know that I was that sexual of a person back then anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely went through the motions of course, but cause I thought that's what I had to do. But even before that, when I had had boyfriends or dated people, it was more just because I thought that's what I was supposed to do or because I was really lonely. I didn't really like grow into my sexuality until I was like 30. Yeah. I totally feel that. I, I feel like, well, I'm 28 now and I feel like I'm finally starting to like, uh, experience more of those things because I've always been like, I don't know, very relationship oriented, very nurturing type. And I see, I, it seems like you're a very nurturing person too. Like you kind yeah. of went in there and assumed this world to like take care of, you know, other aspects of his life or mm-hmm. um, keep the house in order. So when you look back in hindsight, I mean, you obviously did have like genuine feelings for him. Do you feel like it's almost like a case of like Stockholm syndrome? Like where, you know, you had already, you kind of like convinced yourself to care for this person who's ultimately not doing you well. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think there was a lot of Stockholm syndrome there. I was very isolated once I moved into the mansion. I didn't, any friends I'd had before, like the two girls I had been roommates with, they had moved back home. They weren't from LA. And I didn't really have any friends in town. I was very isolated. I wasn't getting along with the other girls before Bridget moved in. So I felt like he was my only you know, sounding board or only person I was bonding with. And when you're the new girl in the mansion, he always sides with you. So it's kind of getting like a different treatment in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I felt like he really understood me and really saw me and things would change later on. But I just felt like that was a very like, it developed into a very Stockholm syndrome type thing because I felt like he was the only person I could like identify with. Mm -hmm. And when you were, I mean, you were obviously emotionally involved and, um, was it difficult as a person to like watch him interact with these other women or these playmates? Yeah, definitely. And I made it really clear really early on in our relationship that I wasn't into it and I would rather things be just us. And so it was difficult, but I mean, one of the upsides is it got me off the hook as far as like recruiting because he always expected other women in the group to like recruit other women for him. And I very much didn't want to do that. And I was very honest with him about how I didn't like the whole group dynamic. And I just really leaned into it. Was he receptive when you would say those things or would he kind of just like nod his head and then move on and keep doing it? He would always kind of like dangle this carrot that like someday it would be just us. And this wasn't going to go on forever. But, you know, he didn't want to feel stifled at the moment. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. So this show came about. And at this point, how long have you been living in the mansion before um, they came to you? I was living at the mansion for like three and a half years before we heard about the show. And uh, I was about hitting four years by the time the show started filming. And how did you initially hear about it? Well, um, back before Kendra moved in, when it was me, Bridget, and a whole bunch of other girls we didn't get along with, Hef asked me how I would feel about doing like an, he called it an Osborne style reality show. Cause back then the Osbournes was like the big reality show. Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely not. Like I thought it would be a disaster. Like I had never, like, even though I wanted to be in the entertainment industry, I never wanted to be like known for my personal life. Like I always thought the Playboy thing would end up being like this blip on the radar fun fact about me, you know, after I moved on to other things. I didn't think it would become like the thing. And we just were so not getting along with the other women that I thought bringing reality TV into the mix would just make it a million times worse. So I told him absolutely not. And then things changed. Like the other girls moved out and Kendra moved in and it was just three of us. And then finally have decided to work with this producer that he was close friends with And we shot a pilot and we weren't asked this time if we wanted to do it or not. We were just told we're doing it. So 
I guess technically we had a choice if we wanted to kind of like upend our whole lives and just like walk out that day, but that's a really loaded choice. So, you know, we went along with it and I was really stressed out. Like I remember after we filmed the pilot, we had gone to go do the AIDS walk in West Hollywood. And the whole time we were doing that walk, like I was just talking Bridget's ear off about like how I didn't think this was a good idea. And I'm so stressed out about it. And I'm so depressed. And what are they going to do? And how are they going to use our image and all these things? And I kind of had like a mini breakdown to have after it and told him, you know, that I wanted to like work or have some kind of like career outside of this relationship as well. You know, he threw a fit, said no, I was bawling. You know, I said I was really depressed. I thought I needed to go see a therapist. He said, no, you're not allowed to. They'll just tell you to leave. Go talk to Mary. And eventually, like, Mary, his secretary, referred me to a therapist that was, like, friends with his doctor, so somebody that's kind of, like, in the loop. And they put me on antidepressants. And that was my my pre-show journey. So And so that's after filming the pilot so when you guys filmed the pilot was it almost like um half reality and then half like you sat down and figured out like a little bit of a you know a storyline to play along with well initially the show wasn't even supposed to be about us we were just kind of in it the original idea for the show was it was going to be about the staff at the mansion and then we would be in it too but kind of seeing like how the staff had to cater to us and the subject for the pilot was um, a surprise party I threw for Bridget's birthday. And then when they showed that pilot to E, it was one of the executives at E that said, okay, we want this show, but we want it to be from the girl's perspective. So then everything shifted from there. When you initially watched that first episode, how did you feel? Was it like a, a relief or were you like, holy shit, I, I don't want this out? Well, the first actual episode of the show, I thought it was cute. I was relieved that it wasn't super embarrassing because back then there was a lot of super embarrassing reality TV. Like the example I always use is there was a show called The Surreal Life that like grouped a bunch Mm -hmm. of people in a house. And um, this actor named Vern Troyer, who was um, a little person, he like came in drunk one night, was naked, was like running around on a scooter, peeing in the corner. Like they caught him like masturbating in his bed. And like, this is all broadcast. And I'm like, oh my God, like I do not want to do reality TV. So I was just relieved that there was nothing like that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't like how at the end of the first episode, they kind of set up the conflict of like me not wanting the other girls there. And they kind of make it look like Kendra wants to be there forever, which I don't think was anything she ever wanted to do. So I didn't love the setting up of that conflict. I felt like it was exaggerated, but overall I was kind of relieved because I felt like it seemed like a harmless show that wasn't mm-hmm. super humiliating. And when you, um, filmed that pilot, like what was the timing like? Versus, like, that pilot filmed and then it went out. Was it, like, a year later or pretty shortly after? Um, The pilot was never released on TV because what I threw was, like, a sex toy party. And it was, like, it was like a Tupperware party. But if you know what that is. But, like, the ladies bring, like, sex toys. And, like, everybody, like, not tries them out. Like, nobody's, like, doing really crazy <laughs> shit with the sex toys. But people can buy them. And E said that was, like, way too risque. They couldn't show that. So, um... We filmed that in September of 2004, and then the show was ordered, and we shot our first episode in May of 2005, and then it aired August of 2005. So there was like kind of a nine-month period in between the pilot and the actual show. And how did your family or your friends react to you becoming a reality television star? You know, I didn't hear much from anybody. I think everybody was just kind of like trying to be supportive and like too polite to say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't really hear anything from my high school friends. I was on an episode of MTV Cribs about the mansion a few years prior, and they kind of like chimed in on that and Mm -hmm. only said positive things. Nobody really said anything to me about the show. And I didn't have any like contemporary friends. Like when I think of friends at that time period, I just think of people I knew from high school before because... All my friends from L.A. had, like, moved back home, and I kind of lost touch, and I was so isolated at the mansion that I just didn't really hear any feedback from anybody. Like, my family was just going to be, like, supportive from a distance, and they ended up coming on some episodes later, but nobody was really giving me any feedback. (laughs) What about, like, publicly? Like, were you kind of, like, did the public react in a negative way? Like, like slut-shamed you, or... um? How did you, when those episodes started coming out and people started, I guess, coming up to you or reacting, what were their reactions like? 
Well, the reactions I saw were mostly online. Like I stumbled across a message board probably around the time the third episode of Girls Next Door was out. And that's when I learned not to read the comments and not to go on message boards because it was just so brutal. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the impression I got. Like I knew the show had a huge fan base moving forward. And I knew that people loved the show, but I also felt really hated at the same time. It was a lot of slut shaming. It was a lot of people picking apart our appearances and, mm-hmm. you know, saying we were stupid and things like that, like all the things you would expect. Yeah. It sounds so nasty. Um, yeah. <laughs> dealing with like production and E and those people, did you ever have any bad reactions with them or where you felt they had kind of overstepped or did you wrong? Um, I think my main villain in that department was the executive producer of the show. He was very, strange in his ways he was very controlling other producers who worked underneath him would tell me later that he would always brag that he felt like we were his puppets and he could make us do whatever we wanted I always felt like he didn't care about like presenting us in a real way he saw us as very like one-dimensional cartoon characters and he was just gonna present us the way he wanted it didn't matter if it hurt our feelings or not But as far as, like, the people who worked underneath him, I felt like we always got along with those people really well. Um, I felt like the executives at E, like, some of them I'm still close to today. Mm -hmm. So it was more that guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is there, like, one moment when you look back on the show where they had edited or they had done something or depicted you in a way where you're like, that's not true, that's so fucked up, like, uh, just a moment where you really were taken back by their ability to reframe what really had happened? Yeah, we definitely go through that um, and walk through that like episode by episode on the podcast. I mean, the first thing I can think of is that first episode where they try and make it look like there's a lot of like conflict between me and Kendra because the three of us for that first part of season one, like really had each other's backs and were really being considerate of each other and never wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. And it's disappointing that that wasn't allowed to show through. There was an episode at the beginning of season five where we went to a chocolate store and we wanted to make these chocolates for Hef. And I thought it would be funny if we did our body parts. So I did like a chocolate mold of my vagina and Bridget did her boobs and Kendra did her butt crack. And we thought it was really funny. I still think it's funny. But when that mold came out, it was so photorealistic and so detailed that you can see on camera, I'm kind of taken aback because it wasn't really what I expected. I was like, oh, that's a lot, you guys, you know. But even seeing my reaction, seeing how uncomfortable I was, and even though I complained to the producer about it afterward, and I complained on the DVD commentary, they have the cameras so far up in that thing, and they linger on it forever, and it's not blurred anywhere. It was not blurred on TV, even though nudity is usually blurred, and the crazy thing is everything else in that episode was blurred, like... Kendra's butt crack mold was blurred. Later, they show Hef holding up one of those foam hands that people hold up at, like, sports events. And it was bent so that it was, like, flipping the bird. And that's blurred out. But, like, my vagina is fully not blurred out. And it's interesting because I think the editing of that episode happened after I decided to leave Hef. And I have a suspicion that that was kind of like a revenge thing. Like, they're like, we're going to embarrass her in the worst way possible. We know she's uncomfortable with this. We're going to blur everything but that. We're going to linger in on this. We're not even going to blur this on the TV. Like, I'm suspicious it was, like, a hate thing. Yeah, like, one last fuck you because you were yeah. leaving the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so weird. It's such a weird, like, a very violating, too. I mean, I actually yeah. remember what you're talking about. And I remember them blurring the butt crack and everything, too. I don't actually remember your chocolate vagina. But, um, I mean, that just sounds <laughs> insane that they even, like, allowed that to go on television. Mm-hmm. So, like, looking back on everything and, you know, the show, I mean, I don't, I feel like it's clear, like, you didn't you don't regret the show or doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But do you feel like you've never been able to escape the playboy reputation because of it? It's kind of defined who you are. Yeah. It's really impossible to get away from. There were definitely times I was trying to do that. I've given up since then. I'm just like, I'm just going to own it. I don't care. But there was a time like right after I left the mansion, I went to Vegas. I was starring in a live show And then I was doing my spinoff, Holly's World, which was done by the same producers, Girls Next Door. It had to be that way because the contracts that we had to sign said that if E ordered a Mm -hmm. spinoff with any of the three of us, it had to be the same production company. So that wasn't my choice. But when I was doing that show, I felt like I was doing a good job, like making a name for myself and becoming more known for being like a performer in Vegas and being a headliner on the strip and things like that. But then when the second, by the time the second season of Holly's World came around, 
Girls Next Door season six with the new cast had been canceled. And all of a sudden, every plot line in my season two was like Playboy related or Hef coming to town or he planted these two other playmates on the show and like everything was completely scripted. I felt like since he didn't have that outlet for Hef and Girls Next Door anymore, he kind of turned my show into that outlet and it was like all Playboy stuff. So I feel like that kind of took the wind out of my sails as far as like kind of building a name for myself outside of that. But I don't care anymore. Like I don't have any ego attached to it. I'm just kind of like, I talk about whatever. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's, I feel like you were kind of exploited, especially through the contract and production and such. It's like the fact that they could like force you into this new show and then kind of, you know, write whatever narrative they wanted to. Um, did you ever have times where you were filming either of the shows and you were kind of like aware of what was happening and you would like, I don't know, I guess like kind of go against the storyline or like you would be, I guess, thoughtful of like what you're saying on camera because you knew how they could take it and reframe it. So you're kind of like actively like living your life, but also like performing essentially. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like in the beginning, I was so careful just because I didn't want to say anything that Hef wouldn't like or that might get me in trouble. So I'm not being authentic at all in any way, shape or form. I'm just like watching my back every, every word I say. And as we, you know, as time went on and seasons down the road, I started to get a little more comfortable, like joking around about things or I, for the most part, when we're sitting there in the confessional interviews, they're long and we just want to get out of the chair and we know they're going to edit us how they want anyway. So we just kind of like pare it back, whatever they want us to say. But there were times when the producers would be like, okay, Holly, say this. And it was like the opposite of how I felt. And I'd have to put my foot down and be like, no, I'm not saying this. And they literally like look at me and gaslight and be like, no, you feel that way. Holly, come on. You feel that way. Uh, and I'm just like, no, I don't. So I can see it. Like as I rewatch the show, like going down to later seasons, I can see me kind of like digging my heels in, but it only goes so far. They're going to edit you the way they want to edit you. So living in the Playboy Mansion, I mean, there's some traumatic experiences that you had gone through. Um, you decided to go on the A&E documentary and talk a little bit more about that in addition to your book down the rabbit hole. Oh, why did you decide to do the documentary after so many years? Well, at first I didn't want to do it. I'd written a book um, in 2015 and then we started talking about Secrets of Playboy in like 2020. And I was like, I already wrote a book about it. I should never have to talk about this again. I don't want to. But I was speaking with the director off the record. I was doing interviews with her so she could kind of gain an understanding. And then I figured, well, whatever she wants to do with that, if I can like, you know, tip her off to some other people she should talk to or whatever, like that's fine. But I didn't want to do it because for me, I was still at a place where it was really painful for me every time I had to talk about it and I didn't want to do it. And I finally decided to do it after a lot of back and forth, just because I knew that some other women were coming forward with their stories who hadn't spoken before. And I know what it feels like to be the only one or feel like you're the only one and everybody else is trying to make you feel like a liar. So I thought I should do it to be supportive. And I think that's very powerful of you because, um, you know, with the show and everything, you kind of like were the face of like these girlfriends for a long time. So I think that's really powerful and strong of you to, you know, address those moments because, you know, these other women too, they have a, a shared experience. And I feel like if you weren't really like leading it, then it would, there'd be like a question mark, like, Oh, what, you know, why is Holly not going through the same things? But, um, you talked about like quaaludes and different like sexual acts that he would make you guys do. And we don't need to go into detail on those, but do you feel and not in like a negative way, like not like a woke way, but do you think like you're a victim of hefts in a way? In a way, yeah. I don't really love the word victim because I think people mm -hmm. like misconstrue it or they try to, or they think I'm putting myself in a different category of victim. I think I'm a victim of like manipulation for mm -hmm. sure. I, you know, people are like, oh, you were 22. You should have known everything. You should have known exactly what you're getting into, but that's complete bullshit. Like I wouldn't have got into it if I thought it was as dark as it was going to be for, you know, I was totally fell for like his like charming exterior and all his friends all around who think he's the greatest thing ever. And they do think he's the greatest thing ever. Cause that's the only side of him they see. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think I was a victim of the system he had set up for sure. And I, I don't know necessarily like if you come from money when it comes to your family or anything like that, but um, I'm sure being in that environment too, where you're around so much money and wealth, it's just like, it's easy to, 
become comfortable with those things and to, I guess, let other things slide because of the convenience. Yeah, for sure. When you need the security, you're like, okay, well, I hope this gets better. You know, it sucks right now, but maybe I can change things and maybe things will get better. And to be fair, things did get a lot better in my situation there. So I wasn't completely wrong, but it didn't, it didn't get great. And it didn't, you know, things, the bad things that were there were still there at the core of it. And that's why I eventually left. But Mm -hmm. do you think the show kind of, I feel like it kind of gave you your own voice and your own independence in a way. I mean, do you feel that way or do you think just being in that mansion, you really had none? No, I think the show helped us out a lot. Like I might complain about things here and there about like how the producer treated us or like how we Mm -hmm. were cut. But overall, the show was a really positive experience. It gave me a lot of confidence being able to work at the Playboy Studios. An editor gave me a lot of confidence. And it gave us a little more freedom, too, because as the seasons went on, they needed more show ideas. So they wanted to take us different places, and Hef would let us actually stay the night somewhere else. Granted, we have security and cameras around us all the time, but Mm -hmm. at least we got to go do things, and it definitely gave me more of a feeling of confidence and independence. And Hef was so into the show and so preoccupied with the show that he kind of abandoned a lot of the other compulsive activities he had for us. So we weren't like going out and going to the bedroom and doing all the things we hated anymore. So when people ask why I stayed so long, part of it was because like the worst was at the beginning and then things got so much better that I thought, Oh, sky's the limit. This could really be a great situation. But at the end of the day, it wasn't, but do you think he was happy about the show coming in? Or do you think he had a moment where like a few seasons in where he's like, Oh wow. Like I now have a big loss of privacy essentially. No, he loved it. He had final cut over everything that went into the show, so he was never at risk for being embarrassed or anything like that. He only had to participate in scenes as much as he wanted to because the bulk of the expectation was on the three of us. So he loved it. Like, for him, it was he felt like he was relevant again. He felt Mm -hmm. like it was an ego boost. It was a lot of fun for him. He loved watching the shows back. He loved screening the shows for his friends on the weekend. So he loved the show. He would have never, like, I think he, I mean, I wasn't around when it was canceled, but I think when the show got canceled, eventually I imagine he was really, really bummed. That concludes part one of our interview with Holly Madison. Tune in next week for episode two. Let's get into it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.